0: Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Thursday, January 17th, 2019. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Tim Cook calls for a data broker clearinghouse, a possible criminal case against Huawei, the largest leak of user credentials ever found in the wild, and why we probably need a Unix for machine learning. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Facebook this morning announced it has taken down 471 Facebook pages and accounts, as well as 41 Instagram accounts for the usual coordinated, inauthentic behavior. But this time, well, maybe this is usual as well, originating in Russia. Quoting from Facebook's blog post on the matter, The two operations we found originated in Russia, and one was active in a variety of countries, while the other was specific to Ukraine. We didn't find any links between these operations, but they used similar tactics by creating networks of accounts to mislead others about who they were and what they were doing. Despite their misrepresentations of their identities, we found that these pages and accounts were linked to employees of Sputnik, a news agency based in Moscow, and that some of the pages frequently posted about topics like anti-NATO sentiment, protest movements, and anti-corruption, end quote. Among the details... The accounts involved had about 790,000 followers, and the groups spent about $135,000 advertising on Facebook's platform, paying in euros, rubles, and U.S. dollars. Around 190 events were hosted by the pages. The first was scheduled for August of 2015, and the most recent was scheduled for January. Up to 1,200 people expressed interest in at least one of these events, but Facebook couldn't confirm whether any of the events actually occurred. Facebook's former security chief, Alex Stamos, tweeted this morning, quote, the Sputnik connection in this Facebook takedown is important. This is the first evidence I've seen that Russian overt propaganda organizations are also participating in covert amplification, end quote. Apple CEO Tim Cook has called on Congress to pass privacy legislation and called for the Federal Trade Commission to create a data broker clearinghouse that would enable users to track and control their personal data. Quote, we all deserve control over our digital lives. That's why we must rein in the data brokers. Cook writes in the latest issue of Time magazine, quoting again, In 2019, it's time to stand up for the right to privacy. Yours, mine, all of ours. Consumers shouldn't have to tolerate another year of companies irresponsibly amassing huge user profiles, data breaches that seem out of control, and the vanishing ability to control our own digital lives. The problem is solvable. It isn't too big, too challenging, or too late. Innovation, breakthrough ideas, and great features can go hand-in-hand with user privacy, and they must. Realizing technology's potential depends on it, end quote. Cook points out, as I have on the show, that there. Is currently no federal or overall national set of standards or rules governing data practices, especially in regards to data privacy and the rights consumers have therein? See, for example, the recent episodes we talked about the telecom companies and their habit of selling location data from your phone to third parties. What the set of rules or governance or legislation around this sort of thing should look like is open to debate, but... I agree that it is long past time to put something, some sort of framework in place. And as for his idea of a clearinghouse for data brokers, Cook proposes that it would work like this. Data brokers would have to register on it, thereby enabling consumers to track the transactions and bundles and deals involving their personal data and giving them the power to delete or block bits of data on demand. Sort of like how your credit report works but on steroids with actual levers that you could control. Cook's piece is just one part of a big Time Magazine issue on newsstands right now that takes aim at tech pretty explicitly. The cover story is from Roger McNamee entitled, I mentored Mark Zuckerberg, I loved Facebook, but I can't stay silent about what's happening. In his piece, McNamee calls for the Quote, monopolies of Facebook, Amazon, and Google to be regulated. Quoting McNamee specifically, Google and Facebook are artificially profitable because they do not pay for the damage they cause, end quote. He called for curbing their ability to make acquisitions, limiting the markets tech giants can operate in, and specifically outlawing, quote, cross subsidies and data sharing among products within each platform. He writes, quoting again, These recommendations sound extreme, but there may be no other way to protect children, adults, democracy, and the economy. Our parents and grandparents had a similar day of reckoning with tobacco; now it's our turn. This time with internet platforms. End quote. So Tim Cook's essay is getting all the headlines, but McNamee's is maybe the bigger story here because this is a prominent venture capitalist making specific recommendations for reining in tech companies. But a couple things that people have been pointing out all day. Number one, Time magazine is now owned by Mark Benioff, the founder of Salesforce, who has previously been a vociferous critic of the Facebooks and the Googles of the World himself. So as Rasmus Kleins Nielsen tweeted in regards to the Tim Cook piece, quote, a storied news publisher owned by the CEO of one tech giant has a cover story by the CEO of another tech giant, about how other tech giants should be regulated." End quote. And lots of people pointed out that if Apple doesn't like the practices of some of the other tech companies, it does have considerable amounts of power and influence that could change the situation, as Nilay Patel tweeted,, quote, "Pushing for a law is great, but it is telling that they won't use their own platform dominance to forbid these practices end quote. Shirovide tweeted, your periodic reminder that Apple gets billions of dollars a year from Google to enable Google's data harvesting slash tracking slash online advertising, end quote. But the real, you know, chef's kiss next level degree of snark goes to Sam Bowman, who tweeted again in regards to Tim Cook's essay, quote, failing business calls for regulation of faster growing rivals, end quote. Man, it has just been one of those days. The largest collection of breached data ever seen in the wild was apparently posted to a popular hackers forum back in December. The so-called collection number one database apparently contains the records of around 773 million unique email addresses and 21 million passwords. The data dump is 86 gigabytes in size, and the security researcher who discovered it said it was probably, quote, "...made up of many different individual data breaches from literally thousands of different sources. In total, there are 1,160,253,228 unique combinations of email addresses and passwords." End quote. Now, a lot of these leaked credentials are duplicates from previous breaches like the 360 million MySpace accounts hacked in 2008 and the 164 million LinkedIn accounts hacked in 2016. But the bad news here is the way the passwords in this case were stored in collection number one. Quoting from Wired, These are all plain text passwords. If we take a breach like Dropbox, there may have been 68 million unique email addresses in there, but the passwords were cryptographically hashed. Instead, the only technical prowess someone with access to the folders needs to break into your account is the ability to scroll and click, end quote. So might be worth a trip to have I been pwned since these new credentials have already been uploaded there, com, especially if you think you have a stray or old password or email still floating around out there. Oh, and timely reminder, get yourself a password manager and use it. No two logins you use should ever be identical. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mack Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their air underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the silver peak polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer, their silver crewneck t-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from MAC Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. Sources are telling the Wall Street Journal that the Department of Justice is pursuing a full-on criminal case against Chinese phone maker Huawei for alleged trade secret theft from U.S. business partners, including T-Mobile. Quoting the journal, the investigation grew in part out of civil lawsuits against Huawei, including one in which a Seattle jury found Huawei liable for misappropriating robotic technology from T-Mobile's Bellevue, Washington lab, the people familiar with the matter said. The probe is at an advanced stage and could lead to an indictment soon, they said. A Justice Department spokesman declined to comment. A Huawei spokesman declined to comment on the federal probe, but said Huawei and T Mobile, quote, settled their disputes in 2017 following a U.S. jury verdict finding neither damage, unjust enrichment, nor willful and malicious conduct by Huawei in T Mobile's trade secret claim, end quote. The company contested the T Mobile case, but conceded that two employees acted improperly, end quote. Pressure has been growing. In the U.S. against Huawei, just yesterday, a bipartisan group of congressional lawmakers introduced a bill that would ban U.S. companies from exporting components to Chinese telecom companies that are in violation of sanctions laws. It is thought that this legislation is specifically targeting Huawei and ZTE. Senator Marco Rubio tweeted about the journal article saying, quote, this is only the tip of the iceberg. Huawei and other China telecoms spy, cheat and steal everywhere they go. After all that, let's end today with two segments about democratizing technology, or at least tech development. First up, here's a pitch. What about AWS, but for everyone? Have you heard about the low-code slash no-code movement? Here's how GeekWire describes it: quote: The promise of so-called low-code, no-code software development tools is to enable anyone to create business applications around their custom needs. The whole low-code, no-code concept has been evolving over the past few years. Just as the value of adding simple web applications to older business workflows, often based around paper, has become clear, professional developers are being pushed to develop and ship code for mission-critical applications on a near-constant basis. Local companies like AppSheet, K2, and SmartSheet have been working on tools For these types of users and big providers like Microsoft, Google, and Salesforce also offer their cloud customers access to these types of tools, end quote. Well, based on reading the tea leaves of LinkedIn resumes and recent conference keynotes, GeekWire speculates that AWS might be working on a low-code, no-code project internally, part of an effort called AWS for Everyone. So imagine maybe a web interface with drag-and-drop elements that even non-programming-savvy users could use to make custom applications. Seems like a super smart idea for Amazon, moving the AWS revolution beyond just the already-converted universe of devs, bringing the power of the cloud to any industry. The term AWS for everyone actually came up in a talk that Patrick Wu, an AWS engineer, gave at a conference in November. He described it, as quote, a new product that will transform many industries and change how people work, end quote. As I said, Geekwire dug more into this and found the term AWS for everyone showed up in LinkedIn profiles for around fifty engineers. Of course, as of this afternoon, a similar search showed that references to AWS for everyone was quickly disappearing from LinkedIn. And AWS representatives did not respond to requests for comment. Sounds pretty cool, if indeed this is something that is coming down the pike. And when the former director of engineering for Facebook AI research, Sirkan Piantino, left Facebook in 2016, he realized there was a big problem. Now that he was leaving the friendly confines of one of the big tech behemoths, it was harder for him to do machine learning experiments. Quite simply, you can't really do the big AI projects without a ton of resources behind you right now. Quoting from TechCrunch, We spent decades getting to a laptop powerful enough to develop a mobile app or a website, but we're struggling with things we develop in AI that we haven't struggled with since the 70s, says Piantino. Before PCs existed, the computers filled the whole room at a university or NASA, and people used terminals to log into a single mainframe. That's why Unix was invented, and that's kind of what AI needs right now, end quote. Spell is Piantino's new startup. It's a collaborative platform that lets anyone run machine learning experiments. The company connects clients with the best, newest hardware hosted by Google, AWS, and Microsoft Azure and gives them the software interface they need to run, collaborate, and build with AI, end quote. So if you're an engineer who wants to work on AI either for yourself or for your smaller startup, instead of building your whole super expensive rig of high-powered GPUs, you can just get on Spell, specify the type of power you need to do your experiment, and boom, you can run your tests remotely. Individuals can use Spell for free, and enterprises can get started for $99 per month per host. Enterprise clients can also set up their own private clusters. Quoting TechCrunch's Jordan Cook, the implications here are huge. Small companies and startups looking to get into AI now have a much lower barrier to entry, whereas large traditional companies can build out their own proprietary machine learning algorithms for use within the organization without an outrageous upfront investment, end quote. So Unix for machine learning. That's pretty cool. This wasn't enough to make a whole segment out of, but you know that whole cavalcade of tech IPOs that we were expecting early this year? Well, the longer this government shutdown goes on, a little birdie reminded me recently, the more those IPOs are in jeopardy. IPOs are planned out way ahead of time with military precision. It's not just meetings with the bankers. It's not just the roadshow with investors. It's also high-level consultation with the SEC. Well, that ain't happening while the SEC ain't working. So anyone who was already on an IPO calendar is probably on a definite wait-and-see sort of basis already. And as this little birdie pointed out to me, there's even a key date coming up. February 14th. On February 14th, financial statements provided by companies that were planning on IPOing in Q1 are no longer valid. They have to be updated and audited for all of 2018. So, if the government doesn't reopen by the 14th, potentially the entire Q1 IPO calendar is now shot. And if things have to get pushed back even further, that can have a ton of knock on effects. If actual listings that were planned for the spring have to move to the summer and then the fall, et cetera, et cetera. As I said, not enough for a full segment, but something to put on y'all's radar. Talk to you tomorrow.